0: Welcome to In the Fire, a podcast for the young families of Chapelgate Presbyterian Church. Marriage and parenting are a wonderful blessing and are extremely rewarding, but they're also really hard and can leave us feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and defeated. That's exactly why we started this podcast, to help families see how the gospel injects encouragement, comfort, and hope into the daily grind of our lives, and to remind you that you're never alone in the struggle. There is another in the fire. Welcome back to In the Fire. My name is Rob Gicking, the host of the show. I'm joined today again by Dr. Paul Koistra. If you'd like to hear a little more about Koistra and his story, go ahead and uh, stop this episode and launch Season 2, Episode 1, where you can hear more about who he is and his background uh, as he talks to us about what it means to have a a biblical family, a gospel-centered family. But today I have him here to talk to us about marriage, which... Uh, you'll hear him. He kind of digs at me at the very beginning. It's a well-deserved joke at my at my expense. But uh, without further ado, take it away, Dr. Koistra.
1: Well, the the subject today is marriage, right? It was parenting last week and marriage this week. Uh, I did say last week it seemed like marriage should come before parents, but nevertheless, um, uh, here's the way I would start my. Um, discourse on marriage. And that is, I would just say the very same thing I said about parenting. And and that is, uh, that the, the just like the family is not a human construct. Uh, it's, it's part of God's plan for humans. Uh, so is marriage. Marriage is not a man's idea because he's lonely or a woman's idea because she needs somebody uh, to take care of her or anything other. Uh, it, uh, marriage is God's idea. Um, and, and the Bible puts it very clearly in the beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. Of course, uh, you know, we understand it's not good for a man or a woman to be alone. We were made, uh, for marriage. The reason I believe that is, is because, um, in, I, I think in many ways, the Trinity is a marriage. It certainly is a family. Uh, but the, the father is completely devoted to the son. The son is com- completely devoted to the father. The father and the son are completely devoted to the Holy Spirit, and that perfect relationship is to be reflected in all human endeavors, but especially in marriage. Our our marriages ought to look um, like the Trinity, if you will, uh, and that ought to be our goal. Um, it's no accident that Christians um, have always called marriage a covenant Now you know the Catholic Church believes marriage is actually a sacrament and and the Protestant Church rejected that idea uh, you know to hold fast the idea that there were only uh, two covenant um, um, ceremonies in the Old Testament and uh, in the and those uh, sacraments there are only two, in the New Testament that match the Old Testament. But nevertheless, we still have always argued that marriage is a covenant between two people. And that's because we believe that our relationship with God is a covenant. God makes a covenant with us and he then in turn expects uh, to bless us in marriage with a relationship that looks much like our relationship with him. Should look almost exactly if you will. Uh, And if we will start there, it makes all the difference in the world. This is a covenant relationship. I mean, look at the uh, traditional vows we make in a wedding ceremony. I take you to have and the hold from this day forward. Better or worse, rich or poor, sicker, sickness and in health. Love and cherish till death um, do us part. And one of the phrases that, because <laughs> I still use it in marriage. By the way, I'm only married, marrying my grandchildren now, uh, but I still use it. And they always want to know, what is your troth? You know, I pledge my troth to you. And of course, that's just an old fashioned word for I pledge. um, um, I pledge in faith and promise myself to you. Um, So. um, So what does that do for us? Well, it begins by saying, look, marriage is a promise that shall not be broken. Um, It's a commitment that doesn't depend on circumstances you know obviously again doesn't matter rich or poor sickness and health we should add to that even when marriage is uncomfortable Hmm. or when it's not all that I anticipated it to be um and uh where that where that leads me is to say that we are, when Christians uh, enter into marriage, they, they enter into marriage with the idea that divorce is out of the question. Now, why do I emphasize that? Well, because today, divorce has become quite commonplace, even in the evangelical church. And I'm amazed. I mean, I I had a man working for me one time, you know, a very godly man. And he told me his wife, his, excuse me, his daughter was getting the divorce. And she was a, a, a good girl. You know, she was a and, and, and she was in a, in a crummy marriage,
0: hmm.
1: but it, 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 the problem was that, that the man she married was kind of lazy and, and um, liked to do a lot of uh, deer hunting and, you know, he was gone a lot and stuff like that. And she was unhappy with that relationship. And, and, I, th- and I thought to myself, this is pretty sad because, I mean, he, he was all, I'm talking about the man that worked for me. He was all in on it. My daughter needs to get out of that crummy marriage. You begin to think like that and marriage becomes awfully shaky. Um, uh, If you have a problem in your marriage, you probably have a problem in your marriage with Christ. And I don't have to tell you that we are to be married to Christ. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. Uh, You know, John chapter three, first Corinthians 12, uh, revelations, both uh, 19 and 21. So. When I say that, that there's a that we have a marriage with Christ, uh, that is a biblical concept, and and I'm saying if you have a problem in your marriage, um, and you and you're not dealing with it, you probably have a problem in your marriage with Christ. Um. And um, let me give a personal illustration. Okay. Um, I, I I I'm not. Uh, I don't know, it, 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 I'm just being honest here. You know, I'm mar- I've been married twice. My first wife passed away 14 years ago. Sandy and I married 13 years ago. Uh, Sandy had been married a couple more years than me, uh, but we both been married a long, long time. And um, we even joked about the fact that this should be a piece of cake because I had been married 44 years, she'd been married 46 years. So if you add that up, we had 90 years of marriage. Uh, between the two of us and um, we were about three years three months excuse me into our marriage and one day at night I was uh, I said some things some things to her that were not very pleasant Uh, I was obviously not very happy and it just occurred to me wow uh, there's a problem here I'm I'm thinking the problem is her by the way this is my concept of repentance uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. The problem is her, but really, the problem is me. And while I have a PhD in psychology, I went out and got a counselor—the meanest counselor I could think of. When I sent a lot of missionaries to, by the way, uh, because I needed help. I I I needed to 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 fix some things in my marriage. And I and I and and God helped me. I, and, and I I realized that by the grace of God, but. Uh, so I went and got the help I needed. Uh, why? Because that marriage is, well, it's the most important thing in my life other than my relationship with Christ. And it should be for all of us. And by the way, if you, if your marriage needs fixing, um, you got to start with yourself. You can't start with your spouse. Um, and, and sometimes you're in a relationship with a spouse that's got serious problems and so on. But if you're going to fix it, you got to start with yourself. That's true of all repentance. You can't start with the other person. So so that would be my foundation for marriage. Uh, it's to reflect our relationship with Christ. It is to reflect the relationship Christ has with the Father and the Father and the Son have with the Holy Spirit. And that puts marriage on a whole different uh, foundation, I think.
0: So for you, it sounds like you feel you believe that um, a Christian marriage really should look different than a secular marriage, right? We know that our non-Christian friends get married, um, but but in terms of the marriage itself, those of us who are believers, our marriage really ought to look different.
1: Totally different, and and uh, just like our lives ought to look different because we have given ourselves to Christ, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, we are to give ourselves totally to Christ. In a marriage, we give ourselves to another person, and, and because of that, our marriages, I don't look very different as well. I don't go into a marriage because I think this is going to be heaven. I go into a marriage because God has given me this person to love and to cherish until death do us part.
0: Where, where does the, the strength and motivation to do that? I mean, I'm thinking about my own marriage and I appreciate you sharing your own, your own stories. I'm not a, I'm not a very selfless guy. I'm easily selfish. I love myself and marriage really exposes that. So when I'm in those moments where I realize like, Oh, I, I, I don't like the way I just spoke to my spouse, or I don't like the way that I treated them. Where, like, how do I start to grow into the type of selfless love that you're talking about?
1: I think it's got to begin with your own uh, devotional life, your own personal life with Christ. And what does that look like? I mean, we all come into this world with at least some degree of narcissism. <laughs> that is the fact that, that, we are, that we're focused on ourselves. In our devotion just this morning, just a few minutes ago, Sandy and I were talking and, and praying, and we were, I brought up uh, the fact that there's a reason why the Tower of Babel appears so, so early in the Bible. It's because we want to see what sin really looks like. Now, what does sin really look like? It is, I will build a tower up to heaven so I can look God right in the eye and say, I don't need you. Mm. I'm self-sufficient. What does a bad marriage look like? You know, the same thing. I will put myself first. I really don't need you. Um, uh, I'm going to take care of myself. So that's who we are. So we've got to be aware of that. And we've got to be looking at all the time and saying, where am I with the Lord? Where am I with this lady or this man? And and. How am I growing in my relationship with Christ so that I glorify Him more in, in every area of my life? And what does glorifying Him look like? And um, in, in, uh, in the marriage, it's the same thing. What am I doing in this marriage to make this person whom I married look uh, uh, more like Christ and, and to, uh, um, to minister to that person? um, it, sacrificially as Christ has sacrificed himself, completely for me. So I think it's a spiritual battle far more than it is a emotional battle or a romantic battle. You know, I mean, listen, I believe in romance. I'm all for it. Uh, you know, I'll say now we, whether we get to it or not, I'm all for sex, you know, in marriage. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, but all of that's got to grow out of this ro- relationship where, I am invested in you because God gave you to me.
0: So as you were were talking, I think it it actually made me remember something you said in in our previous conversation, which is that the number one thing a man can do for his kids is to love his his wife. Um and in scripture we're we're called um as men to lay our lives down for our wives, as Christ does for for his people, his church. And um tell me, tell us what you think that looks like. What does that look like?
1: Well, uh, when, of course, like I say, the only, only people I'm marrying right now are my grandchildren, but uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And I do get to counsel them, you know, in premarital counseling, I can tell you, I spend a lot more time on the role of the husband than I do the role of the wife. Because I do believe biblically that the role of the husband is the key. He is responsible for the spiritual well being and health of his family. Therefore, he's responsible for the spiritual well being of his wife and of his children. And, uh, and, and uh, so, um, wh- what that looks like is more than anything else, it looks like a man who has, has um, committed himself in marriage to do whatever it takes and to sacrifice in every way necessary to bring about um, the spiritual health and the spiritual depth of the relationship that he has with his wife. And then, of course, with his children, Um, you know, both both spouses are responsible in a marriage. It isn't just one. I mean, we always go to Ephesians chapter five, you know, to talk about what husbands and wives are supposed to do. But in, in my mind, in, in that chapter five, there is a, a terrible division uh, where we have headings. You know, of course, those headings aren't part of the Bible anyhow. But if you look on verse, I think it's verse 22 uh, there, just above it, there is roles of husbands and wives. I, in my Bible, in a way, I always think I get 21 down in, in, in that uh, below that um, uh, heading where it says that we're, uh, you know, we're to submit to one another uh, in the Lord. Uh, so submission is not just for wives, it's husbands and wives submit to one another in Christ. That's verse 21. Now, under that submission, there are roles that we play, uh, that we're given and not, we don't play them, maybe that's a, a, not a very strong word, that we, that we, uh, we exercise. Uh, husbands exercise a role and wives exercise a role and the husband's role is to, to, to do whatever it takes that's what I'm talking about sacrifice whatever it takes uh, to see that his uh, uh, family and therefore his marriage grows uh, spiritually and Christ becomes more and more real and more and more uh, the center of that relationship
0: something that I think, you know, I've in our conversations together, you've said this many times to me. Is and you said it even in this conversation is this idea of the strength to do that, the power for a husband to to do everything within his strength, to sacrifice his desires, his dreams, his ambitions for the benefit of his spouse that's just totally opposite of everything that we see in culture it, it, you know in the movies even when we talk about marriage like marriage is supposed to be this like we're always happy right you you fulfill me i fulfill you like being in your presence is the greatest moment of my day and there are days like that you know we we know that but there's also a lot of days that are not so the strength to do this almost opposite of the the disney model type of marriage that the Bible calls us to comes from abiding, right? I mean, John 15, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we would say, well, you know, I can still brush my teeth, right? I can eat food. Yeah, absolutely. You can function, but you'll never thrive in the role that God has called you to exercise if you don't recognize you first need him in order to do the very thing he's calling you to do. Um, How do you abide how do you abide in your your life as a husband, and how, how have you seen that benefit your, your spouse?
1: Yeah, well, of course, I just, first of all, I would underline exactly what you said. Uh, I even, uh, uh, I'm going to be teaching in January about leadership, and I say the most important responsibility for a leader is to guard the spiritual integrity of whatever he's leading or she's leading, and the way you do it is by guarding your own spiritual integrity. Okay, so... You're the husband and you're the leader uh, of your family. How do, how do you guard the spiritual integrity of your family by guarding your own spiritual integrity? So the only way the only way you can do that, you invest in that. Now, how do you invest in that? Well, um, I mean, obviously, the, there's an awful lot of ways you do that. But I would say, first of all, that uh, daily you, you commit yourself to Christ. You got to have a devotional life of some sort. I don't. I I don't think that there is one kind of devotional life, and so I I despise those books that say here's how to do it. But I would say this: whatever you're doing, it needs to be, um, it needs to be real. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, I mean, how, what do I personally do? I mean, I I read the scriptures, I pray and I try to, 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 to be also investing in some literature of some sort. I mean, last night, for instance, I have to have it here on my desk, but last night I, I finished a book uh, by a man who's in actually my son's um, Bible study on Thursdays, uh, but he's a very famous man. he has been nominated n- nine times for the Nobel prize. Um, and his name is Henry Schaefer. Um, and uh it was just a pleasure to read this thing. Not only was he saying that science uh, does not c- uh, conflict uh, with faith, uh, but then he just shared how a scientist, a famous scientist, a very successful scientist could give his life to Christ. Well, it just made me want to give my life to Christ more, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've got to invest, obviously. You also, um, church is so important. And I will tell you what is really bothering me, me now, even in my own personal family, um, something has happened since COVID. And there is a whole lot of people that have, uh, I think, unplugged themselves from church. Uh, two things are happening that I can see. One is uh, that they're saying, I get I get better church on, on uh, the internet, you know. Well, sure, you can find a better preacher. I mean, my goodness. I mean, you know, Um, you you know, there are great creatures out there, but that's not what you need. You need a place where you have fellowship, you know, where, where you're just rubbing shoulders with other believers. Um, so, so some are, are unplugging because they're, they're saying, I'm fine, better Others, I think are just saying, you know what? I got along without it here for a couple years. I don't think I need church. So those are the two things I'm seeing. Uh, so I would say the importance of a Christian uh, fellowship, uh, Sandy and I are in in what are called community groups. And I've just uh, challenged my, uh, the community group because community groups are supposed to be for fellowship and prayer. And honestly, um, they have been uh, what Sandy calls organ prayers. Uh, I don't know if you understand what that means, but you're praying for all your organs that are not working. You know, your big toes, your <laughs> You know, you, you need to get your eyes checked or something like that. Or, or, or your aunt has a problem, you know, and something like that. And, and we goes around the circle. It's all we're praying for. So I've challenged them. And, 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 and right now they put me in charge. Of, we'll see how it works. It's going to be the first time next Sunday. But uh, I said, look, we got to get in the word. And, and, and our praying together ought to be around the word. Um, that sort of thing. So what I'm saying there, community group, really important. You know, uh, but uh, but and then uh, I, I, I've got a, like three friends that I just stay in contact with on a weekly basis, by the way. My son does the same uh, as well. Uh, and He has two groups that he gets together with. Um, uh, these are men that uh, I think we challenge one another. Uh, again. And I would say this to anybody listening to this podcast, and that is don't copy what I do. <laughs> do something, though. Do something. But, uh, but because you, you don't, it, our relationship with Jesus should not be cookie cutter. Now, then how does that translate into my family and into my relationship with my wife and so on? Well, um, you just heard that we have devotions every morning. And, and we, we, uh, and by the way, I've done this, you know, my entire life in family and with the kids, I, I told you last week, we had some pretty unusual uh, family devotions because kids get really bored. And I think I've heard kids say, you know, my father had to read the Bible after every uh, supper and it was so boring, you know, and but we had to do it. And, and if we squirmed, he, he slapped us, you know, and that kind of thing. So we would try to make family devotions when they were kids really fun and and exciting and interesting and unusual and odd. Now, right now, it's just two adults. By the way, we're eight. Well, my wife's only 79. I better say that. In fact, she's 78. She'll be 79 on Saturday. Uh, But I'm 80. So it's two adults. But we still, you know, I mean, today we read, first of all, uh, from uh, Char, uh, from Spurgeon, and then we read a prayer from John Calvin, and then uh, because of my 80th birthday it was actually celebrated last week, uh, and everybody in the family, including the grandchildren, uh, wrote something nice about their granddad. Uh, we're reading whatever going through that little book that that my daughter produced. Not so I can say, wow, I'm a great person because he did say nice things about me. I will tell you that. But rather, we're going to pray for that person. Mm. And it focuses our prayers. Well, that's just something different. So investing in in a time of of, of spiritual um, uh, endeavor, um, meditation, um, uh, insight, questioning with your wife is, is so important. Yeah. But I don't care when you do it. You know, if you do it before you get out of bed and that's better for you, if you do it before you get in bed at night, I don't care. You know I mean? A lot of young men, they're busy as beavers, you know? Um, And, and so uh, we, we had to, you had to pick, we had to pick a good time and it was not after breakfast. Like I do now, it was after supper when, when I had kids. Okay. But again, what I'm saying is don't do what I do, but do something.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I, I feel a lot like there is, you know, as a young dad, right. I've been married eight years. Um, I have two kids under three and under, and it's already, it's so difficult because like you're saying, if I try to sit down with, with my sons, I mean, the, the, a the the one is only one year old. He doesn't understand words yet. You know, well, he understands food. He's very good at understanding that word, but he doesn't understand if we're reading the Bible or, or, you know, playing a game. He he just he's there. But it's really helpful to to hear your experience, but then also hear you say to us as younger people, like you don't have to do it this way. You know, but you got to do something because it makes a difference in your marriage.
1: Exactly. It's investing and I
0: call it investing.
1: And that's, and that's what you got to do in a marriage. You can't start out with it. This. this is going to be the most romantic, sweetest, uh, wonderful experience that I have in life. Uh, and, you know, she's just going to be, uh, you know she, every time I see her, you know, my heart's going to go pitter patter and, and, I'm, and I'm just going to get a warm, uh, tickly feeling all the way from my toes to the top of my head. No. It is, what am I going to do today to invest in this uh, relationship where um, we both uh, have a greater love for Christ, a greater focus on Him, and a greater love for one another, and a greater willingness to sacrifice uh, for the person that God has given to me as my spouse?
0: Well, since we're we're starting to talk about... Um you know sacrificing i think one of the things you know the things that come up most often at least for for divorces are are money and and infidelity right um at least right. those are the the most commonly cited reasons and um we've we've talked about money on this sh- this show before this podcast before and we'll definitely do it again cuz it's important but um, you know, specifically today, I think let, let's dive in a little bit to sex. I think it's something that the church doesn't talk about very often, um, but our culture seems to talk about all the time. And so do you feel like there's a level to which, you know, Christians today just have, have very little, you know, biblical sex education?
1: Uh, I, I haven't thought about it exactly like that, so it's a little difficult for me to answer. Um, I, I, I can remember telling my first wife, you know, of course I was, I was 17 years old when I started going with her. Um, I intuitively realized that sexuality was going to be both an exciting part of our relationship and also in my mind, a dangerous part of our relationship because my parents uh, or my mom, who I was, you know, devoted to, cause she was the, she was the, Sadly, she was the husband in our marriage, in our family. She's the one. She was the anchor for us in every way, spiritually, emotionally, and um, in every other way. And my mom would have just had a cow if I had gotten married at seventeen. I should have. I had a full time job and went to school full time. I could have put my wife through school, but uh, and I was crazy about her, and she was crazy about me. So I told her. I said, "Look." Uh, um, uh, let, let's talk about sex. Okay. Um, if we're going to go together for four years, this is not going to be a cakewalk. you know. I mean, now I thought she was going to live out of town. She moved away from, from Duluth, Minnesota, the day after graduation, her father was already working in Brandon, Minnesota. So she would come down every other weekend on a train because her father worked for the railroad and she could come free. So we would spend a couple of days, a uh, couple of days each week, each every other weekend together. But then she'd go back home. But after two years, she didn't like that. She wanted to be closer to me. So she moved back to Duluth, got her own apartment and, got, and had a job. And my home life was not very pleasant because my dad was a difficult man. So I spent a lot of time in that apartment. I mean, I would leave there at one and two o'clock in the morning. But I can tell you that my wife was a virgin when she came down the aisle. Mm. Now, how was that? Well, we talked about that right on, right in the beginning. And I said, guess what? Uh, I just read a book uh, by um, Clyde Nairmore. And he said, uh, it's your responsibility to make sure that, you know, you hold up the stop sign because of the way men are. He was he was the first Christian psychologist, evangelical Christian psychologist. I said, I, I just read his book, but his, I don't I don't agree with it. It's wrong because if I'm going to be the head of this household. After we get married, I'm going to be the head of the household now. So it's my responsibility to protect you now. And who do I need to protect you from? Me. Mm. And therefore, it's going to be my responsibility to see that you're a virgin four years from now when we come when we come before Christ and before people and make our vows with one another. Uh, I can tell you it was, a, it was a contest. It was hard. But we made it. Because we were committed to it. We talked about it. And we prayed about it. And um, so now here's an interesting thing. I will tell you that business of my protecting her was a s- serious and exciting part of our sex life for 44 years after that. She would thank me all the time. And and it was it would, you know, I, I hope I'm not being too intimate here, but it would it was a huge turn on for her.
0: Hmm. Why? Why is that so important? I mean, our culture is just, they think if you are waiting for me, I mean, I literally talk to people all the time. They're like, you got married to your wife? Like, didn't you live together first? And I said, no, we didn't. And they go, oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It, you know, we just have no concept for why this is important or even beneficial. What would you say to to our folks listening? Why is the sexual purity in my marriage so important?
1: Well, well, first of all, because two people in marriage really do become one. And, and I would say that that's true on every level. It's emotional level and uh, a spiritual level, we become one, but let's face it, it's physical. And how do you become one? Uh, the, 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 the biggest, largest way you become one is through the sexual relationship you have with your spouse. And it's why it's so wonderful it's why it's so exciting and 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 honestly it ought to get more and more exciting you know I, like I say I was married 44 years the first time and 13 years the second time and i and and I actually think your sexual life ought to get better now it it won't always get uh more what shall i say physical uh but be, because but the best advice I ever got from a a urologist one time when i was talking to him in, a, in an examination he said you know what the most important uh, sex organ you have is it's right between your ears um and uh and he was right uh, uh and so again even so so you invest in your in your in your uh in the sexuality of your marriage now how do you do that well husbands you guard your wife and and, uh, and and you do that two ways. You guard her from yourself, you know. Before you get married, you protect her from yourself. But even afterwards, you're you're kind. You're you're understanding. You 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 figure out what what is most pleasurable for her. You you uh, you, um, you 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 learn, you know, how to talk and 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 and. and, and encourage one another and i'm talking about in the sexual relationship the other thing you do is you guard yourself from a culture that's gone berserk which shouldn't surprise us i mean because let us make man in our image male and female notice that male and female that's sexuality uh our, our our sexuality is um has something to do with our with with the image of god in us i can't tell you what that is even i just always have believed it the fact that I'm a man has something to do with my with to do with her, um, uh, with her with the image of God in her, and so when those things come together in, in a relationship, I mean, you, you can see how wonderful that is. But where does Satan want to work? Where does he want to destroy? He wants to destroy that relationship, and how's he going to do that? he's going to do it by by um us not being careful in the relationship we have with one another and then also uh, in engaging in activity that should not be engaged in at all outside of marriage sexuality was given to us so that two could become one
0: yeah you mentioned i like that uh your your doctor's advice that uh, the most important sex organ is between your ears it's it's your mind right and there is exactly. a sense in which that's that's what we you know Romans twelve right the renewing of our mind is one of the things that we you know we aim for and are promised by the power of the Holy Spirit when we become Christians, but um, we also know we can grieve the Holy Spirit right we can we can almost work against Him in in our lives and I think one of the things as it pertains to sexuality um, pre marriage during marriage whatever is is pornography right and it really has. Yeah. It wreaks havoc on our minds and our ability to be intimate, to be faithful, um, to experience that sort of um, relationship that we're designed to have inside sex. I I was curious, just, you know, we kind of asked last week about some of the differences in parenting from when you were parenting towards like, you know, parents today. But is that one of the biggest things you see um, different between when you were, you know, uh, a newlywed and, and newlyweds today?
1: yeah absolutely i mean i mean men have uh, men my age have, have sort of joked about the fact that pornography when we were teenagers used to be the Sears catalog you know in the underwear section of the Sears catalog uh, that's no joke by the way because that's pornography too you know i mean if you again cuz it's what in your mind uh, but today my goodness i mean uh, fortunately i've never seen Raw pornography uh, on the internet. And that's just because I've guarded myself like crazy for it. Because I realized, and I realized very early on, um, as I as I was growing up, you start looking at that stuff and it gets in your mind. And it's not the same as you know you're looking at a beautiful picture, you know, of a sunset or something like that, and wow. Um, but that doesn't stay with you. But that other stuff, pornography, I could see that stuff stays with you days. So you 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 have to absolutely guard yourself, and, um, um, and 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 now it's gotten so you have to guard yourself. I, I say, and this is, I use this example all the time with with the, especially the grandsons that I deal with. You have to guard yourself with Fox News. Um, I have the Fox News app, but um, you 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 got to read you know maybe just the first five stories and so on, because you go below that, you have just crazy stuff it has nothing to do with news. I I didn't want to talk about it because uh you know I, I don't want to give it airtime but it's it's stuff that just should not be on the news at all. So for a while I actually got rid of the Fox News but I I want to know what was going on. Maybe I ought to get rid of it again. But because all that stuff is a temptation. All of that. I don't care. And you ought to get rid of all the temptation. Movies are the same thing. Um and one of the things that bothers me about movies now is movies that are acceptable and, and they may not be G rated, but they're, you know, just a notch above it. I don't know what the ratings even are, uh, but, but fornication is not just an acceptable thing. And, and you've, you've you mentioned it, you know, that people don't think that chastity is even a, a, a concept anymore. Um, so yeah, you, you've got to guard yourself from pornography with a vengeance.
0: I love what you said about the Sears catalog being pornography. I mean, my my peers and I we have no concept for that because what is established as pornography, that line has moved miles and miles oh. in the wrong direction. I mean, I I when I was in youth ministry, I'd have these pretty much annual uh sessions with with families because they had they had 12-year-olds, right? And I said, you know, uh, I think I believe the stat is 70% of, of children have been exposed to pornography as the world defines it, right. Full pornography by the age of 12 or 14. And so you go, but I, I would always push, I'd say, this is what is, is, you know, not considered pornography. And I would just, I'd walk them through an Instagram or I'd walk them through a, a whatever. And I'd let them, you know, percolate on that a little bit. Like, this is what is normal. And like you said, these images they 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 really do, and science backs this up. You look at the, the neurology of this. Like, there's a, a neuro pathway that is created when that dopamine hits when we see these images that are so stimulating, and then are attributed to that particular emotion, whether it's it's you know wonder for for a child, or like shame and stress and anxiety, or dissatisfaction in my own marriage you know, if I'm exposing myself to this thing, it really is, it functions much more like a drug than a lot of our other sins do. And so, you know, I appreciate you just even laying that out there. I think that that is going to be, if, if it's not already, I do think that's going to be the largest issue that the millennial marriage faces, you know, over time is it's like a silent killer in your marriage.
1: Well, and, and then, um, you know, um, Infidelity, because pornography leads to infidelity. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with just a few people uh, that are, you know, pretty close to me. And um, so I've learned from them. Um, and um, I had no idea how addictive uh, pornography was and also then how it, it leads to infidelity and how now today, even in our environment, how, how easy infidelity is. So um, I, I would say, especially in any man, again, uh, you were, I, I understand that, that pornography is a problem for women as well, but I've only dealt with men personally. And I would say to any man, look, if you've got a problem, get help. Hmm. The first person I would go to is talk to my pastor, but you probably need help beyond your pastor. And there are some Christian, evangelical Christian counselors that specialize just in sex addiction. If you would have told me, Mm, uh, 20 years ago uh, that, that sex could become an addiction uh, I would have said come on now that's just loss you know I understand drugs and things like that but no more I understand that it really is an addiction and, and, it, and that you need help and, um, and, and you probably I mean if you're really serious about your marriage and about your relationship with Christ you're probably going to be surprised how much counseling you need The one that I've been closest to, uh, uh, it it was five and a half years. It it was a glorious, um, um, work of, I think God's grace, but five and a half years. Wow. And by the way, most men, when they have a problem, they think two sessions, that's enough.
0: (laughs) If they get that far. That's
1: right. Exactly. (laughs) And 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 I would say to any couples, but especially again because I'm mainly dealing with with women in these situations. If there's been infidelity, your husband is, has has, uh, but but I say it to men too because women are having affairs now as well as men, even in the church. Um, the first thing to, to question it, come to how much do I love Christ? That's where you got to start, because Christ hates divorce, uh, and that's because. Your marriage is to reflect your relationship with him. So he hates it. That's the first thing you got to come come up to. And then, so then you've got to, to say, am I willing to, to, if you've been the offended party, are you willing, uh, you know, to humble yourself? Now, there's got to be repentance. And by the way, I always say to, 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 to in a, a marriage situation like this, to the spouse that's been offended, I say, look, repentance isn't that the, the offending party says, I'm sorry. no. I'll tell you whether there's been repentance in two years, okay? <laughs> That's what I gotta see. I've got to see a real willingness to humble themselves and to to do what it takes to deal with the sin in their life. But the offended party's got to gotta to begin. I have the, I have this four-point sermon, I'll give you to quickly. Are you willing to do this for Christ's sake? Because He is a savior and he saves marriages, not just people. Secondly, are you willing to do it for your children's sake, because it's better for mom and dad to be living under the same roof than mom living with another man over there and dad living with another lady over there. That That is destructive like crazy to, to children. Thirdly, uh, you, uh, are you willing to do it for your spouse's sake? Because obviously they're weak. They need help and they need you. Now remember, it's got to be repentance, but if there's repentance, real repentance, your spouse needs help. Finally, are you willing to do it for your sake? Because God will use it in your life to make him more real. Spurgeon said this morning in our devotion, uh, uh, wherever God puts you uh, to glorify him, that's the place where you want to be. And by the way, uh, remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They had to glorify him in a furnace.
0: That's right. They were in the fire. That's right. Yeah, I I think that's that's key. And I'll just reiterate that part as well about the, the true repentance. And um, I think that, that that's a really great four-part thought. Um, as we come kind of towards the uh, the back half of our, our time together, I, I want to just ask, what in your mind are the three biggest pitfalls uh, for marriage? Well,
1: uh, the ones that I, uh, you know, first of all, nobody should say they're an expert on marriage, at least I'm sure not. But The three that I have listed down, because you asked me to think about it, one is that our culture does not hold marriage in high esteem. And so people are are not even thinking about the fact that that they need uh, to really invest in a marriage. Um, Other than your relationship with Christ, that would be the second place where you invest in. You invest more in your marriage than even in your relationship with your children. You invest more in your marriage than you do in your in your job and in your occupation, Um, uh, more in your health, more in anything. That's number one. And and they, you know, I mean, the devil is trying to destroy marriages. I mean, you know, and and, and, I mean, we we, what the Congress just passed a, a law, you know, which. In a sense, is a shot at marriage. It is the Marriage Protection Act, which is anything but a protection of marriage. Um, that uh, you know, any kind of relationship—if uh, two people want to want to get together, they can get together. Uh, so that, to me, is the the, the the first thing. We live in a culture that does not uh, encourage us to do what we've got to do. So we we've got to, in a sense, challenge the culture and challenge our own internal. Uh, narcissism. Uh, secondly, and we've already said it, is a sexualization, so I won't go into that again. And then thirdly, it, I just say, and I just mentioned it, but uh, we all have a narcissistic bent to ourselves. Uh, we want to be happy. We we, we want to be fulfilled. Uh, we want to be comfortable. Um, all of those, those, we want to be appreciated. Um, that's all self-centered. Well, some self-centeredness in a marriage doesn't work very well. Uh, the, the, just like you've got to be in your relationship with Christ, you've got to be focused on him. In your relationship with your spouse, you've got to be focused on your spouse. If you're focused on yourself, uh, you're going to stumble all over yourself and trying to. So, again, you know, I, um, here's just a small thing, but I, I taught this to my grandchildren and, and to my to my. Um, son and my son-in-laws. I, 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 law. Early on in my marriage, and I still do it today in, in my second marriage. I, every day, I, I tell my wife, you know, you're the most beautiful thing on the planet. Sometimes I even joke and say, you know what? I should have married an ugly woman because you just get me too excited. And, um, and now why do I do that? Remember, what the most important uh, sex organ you have is between your ears. First of all, she is the most beautiful thing on the planet because God gave her to you. She's your wife. But you know, you keep saying that and you will believe it. Hmm. Your wife will become more and more beautiful. Now, does that mean that there aren't movie stars and all that are you know, physically more attractive than your wife? Well, yes and no. Because what is beauty? Beauty is in the mind. And I'm not kidding you. You begin to she becomes more and more um, precious, more and more attractive, even as she gets older and you get older. Honestly, it works. You try it.
0: That's nice. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one to put into practice right away. Um, all right. So then since we're, we're talking about things that can help, what are, what do you think are the three biggest um, keys to to a healthy, thriving marriage?
1: Well, I've probably said it already, but I'll say it quickly, build your marriage on your relationship with Christ. So you begin with Christ, but then you continue to ask yourself, how is my relationship? How do I glorify Christ in this relationship today? This is the most important relationship you have other than your relationship with him. So that could take on all kinds of things, you know? Um, uh, But in my mind, it'll be obvious. Um, So how do I glorify Christ in my relationship with my spouse today? Uh, Secondly, um, invest in your marriage. And, and, you know, I've noticed uh, that uh, because uh, of I don't want to go into that. I'm just going to say Sandy just likes it when I do things spontaneously. Uh, She would not like a date night. I, I, and by the way, my first wife didn't like that idea either. There was a guy in the seminary where I used to work who came up with the idea and taught all the students. I have a date night. And uh, my first wife didn't like that. My second wife doesn't like it. She wants something really spontaneous. I just say, hey, let's go to uh, up to Culver's and get ourselves a butter burger and, a, and a, um, a shake or something like that, you know. So what I'm talking about in investing, it, it, it can be something really simple, you know. Now, you know, um, uh, as well, uh, um, uh, one thing I certainly learned in the second marriage, um, in investing, you listen to your spouse. My my first marriage, my wife, my first wife was actually a very easy lady. So, you know, actually the counselor that I went to, uh, that I told you about, told me uh, that marriage didn't do much good to me. I needed a, a a more normal marriage, and uh, so um, uh, when 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 Sandy would get excited, I thought, "My gosh, you know, my job as a husband is to fix that," and and it was getting worse every time I tried to fix it. Until one day, I realized, and I said to her, "You don't want me to fix it?" She said, "No, I just want you to listen."
0: <laughs> so, That's great.
1: So investing can be rather simple things. Um, And then finally have a, have a caring and nurturing attitude. Uh, It it doesn't matter what our problem is. We're going to fix the problem and whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Mm. I gave you the example of my going off and getting counseling. Uh, But if I need to get counseling again, I would, I mean, this marriage is not going to fail. This marriage is going to thrive. What's that going to mean? What's that mean today?
0: That's really great. I I'm so grateful for, just your your time, um, you know, two weeks in a row and just sharing your thoughts and your um, your heart with us. And um, maybe just to, to close, I would just ask, would, would you mind praying for our listeners for their marriages and, and their, their families?
1: I will. Father, first of all, I thank you for marriage, because as we started out this discussion, it's your idea, not our idea. You marry us. That's the most amazing thing. In the Old Testament, you talk about your people as being your bride, and in the New Testament, of course, you talk about Jesus being the uh, the the groom and us being um, the uh, uh, bridegroom, uh, and, and and so we, we see how how wonderful marriage is, and and uh, and and as the old saying goes, there is nothing closer to heaven than a good marriage. Um, and that's true. But, Father, I would pray for those who are listening to this podcast today that, that they would um, take seriously that, that their marriage, other than Jesus, there is nothing more precious than the relationship they have with their spouse. And, and, and they do become one with that spouse. Um, it's not two people anymore. It's one person, a husband wife. Um, person. And I would pray, Father, that you would just uh, uh, give much grace and much mercy in our marriages, that we might be quick to love, quick to forgive, uh, quick to honor, and quick to glorify you in that relationship. I pray, Father, that if there are problems, um, maybe there is um, somebody listening to this that where there's unfaithfulness in a relationship or where they are uh, addicted uh, to some kind of sexuality, especially pornography or whatever. I pray that you will intervene, that the Holy Spirit will come c- with conviction, but also with a lot of encouragement and grace uh, to 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 turn around, uh, to repent, and 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 to do whatever it takes to make this marriage look like the Trinity, like your relationship with your son and your your relationship and your son's relationship with the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Indeed. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode. I hope our my conversation with Dr. Coistro, both last week and this week, have blessed you as much as it has me. It's always exciting to sit down with a guy who's been walking with the Lord for an entire lifetime, who's seen his bumps and bruises and watch God be faithful. I, I like to say that there's a difference between a book report and a testimony, and, and we got a great testimony these past two weeks. So thanks, Dr. Koystra, for being part of the, the experience here for Chapelgate, and uh, I hope you guys are, are blessed by it. Until next time, this is Rob Gicking signing off from In the Fire. Take care.